Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that pits two movies with something in common in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. This week, in the red corner... Steven Spielberg follows up the greatest movie ever made by indulging his extraterrestrial fascination as, from 1977, he invites us to have some close encounters of the third kind. While in the blue corner, more interplanetary travellers, but this time it's Denis Villeneuve piloting the ship as Amy Adams deals with love, language and loss in 2016's Arrival. (laughs) Well, I guess you've noticed... Something that's a little strange with Dad. It's okay, though. I'm still Dad. I can't describe it. What I'm feeling. And what I'm thinking. This means something. This is important. So it's an E.T. entanglement on this week's Clash, but which film will be victorious? Let's find out. Welcome to Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Butters. Barry! 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 I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. Got a cocktail for you, V. Go on. Have I told you about this new cocktail? It's the easiest cocktail to make in the world. It's my mum's birthday and I said, I'll make cocktails. And then I was like, I hate making cocktails because <laughs> I have to spend the whole time making cocktails. Can I get, if it was easy, can I get, yes. what, will I not have heard of it? Was it an old fashioned? 
No. Okay. It's still too complicated. This is easier. It's two ingredients, though, yes? It's one, two, three ingredients. Okay. Go on. All right. It's a poinsettia. Never heard of it. Great. So okay. it's Cointreau. Yeah. Prosecco. Yes. And cranberry juice. Bosh. Okay. So it's like drinking fizzy pop. Well, like a spritz. Yeah. No, it's a poinsettia. It's a, it's, I bet you, if you look, it's called a poinsettia spritz. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. Delicious. Do you like the sound of it? I do like the sound of it. It's, it's a good uh, session drink. Mm. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. You had a few of them then, did so you? So I was making those, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was great. And I, um, I was so wrecked. I was telling Chris I was so tired after being in Amsterdam last week and then going to my mum's birthday. I slept for 11 hours last night. Oh, wow. Can you believe How'd it? How do you feel? Amazing. I bet you do. <laughs> Oh my God, that's made me just want to weep with jealousy. <laughs> so at nine o'clock I was asleep, 8am I woke up. Mm, I bet you were like, morning! <laughs> oh, honestly, I've never birds. felt so good. Morning, Simon. It really Love was. You. It was little songbirds landing on my arm. Yeah. It was amazing. Chris, how are you? Good, but I'm disappointed you didn't bring us one of those drinks. If you're going to talk about a drink, you're supposed to bring it. A poinsettia? Yes, that would have been the polite thing. All right, next week. Next week, done. Because our drunk shows are always our best shows. Welcome then to part one of Close Encounters versus Arrival. Chris's choices this week, just like every week. So... (laughs) (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Wait till you hear what I've chosen for next week. (laughs) Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. I'll I'll never guess. (laughs) So do tell us, what was the thinking, Tilzo? I, I forgot that they were my choices. Um, I don't know. It all gets lost in the mist of all your choices. Yes, uh, because they seem like a very logical pair, uh, both great films and both to get stuck into. Absolutely. And the clue you gave on last week's show was? It was, well, it was your clue. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I didn't realise it was the working, basically the working title for one of the films, but it was Look Up to the Skies. Yeah, something like that. Yes. Uh, and you followed that up on Twitter with? Mind your language. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Very good. Very good. So your guess has arrived on Planet Twitter, where we are still at ClashPod, having not migrated to Mastodon yet. Uh, We heard the word servers, and it sounded really complicated. So we're still on Twitter. We're also on Instagram and TikTok at ClashPod, with loads of beautiful extras and videos from the show. And if you're in the business for a little extra Clash, completely free of charge, why not check out our YouTube channel with some lovely videos from the show and some of the best bits of clashing from the last few years. Right then, your guesses. Congratulations, Ian Robson, Matt T, Sam from Smash Mind and Body. Yay! Didn't win, though. Still listening. Great. (laughs) Uh, Frank B, congratulations, all of you, but you weren't quick enough. The arrival of our first correct guess came from long-time listener and multiple correct guesser. Well done, Robert Farley. Your prize this week is to leave behind your friends and family and go on a spaceship without <laughs> letting anyone know that's what you're doing because that's totally cool and not massively selfish. Enjoy. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, we can talk about it. Uh, so, connection section. Language. Uh, making contact. First contact. Children. Big part of both of them. Mm, true. Uh, you touched on this already, Chris. Uh, initial titles that weren't as good as the eventual title, um, Close Encounters, was Watch the Skies, and then it became Kingdom Come before they settled on Close Encounters of the Third Guide. Arrival was based on the short story. It's based on uh, the story of your life, which mm-hmm. I believe Denis Villeneuve said sounded too much like a romantic comedy. Mm. Yes, he did. Any more? Uh, yeah, gravity changes. The car, the gravity disappears in the car. And then in the tunnel, gravity disappears. Mm. Um, international effort, teaming up with the other countries to try and figure this out. Uh, all working against each other. Uh, bringing birds along who die. Oh, yeah. 
wait. I know the canary in arrival. What's the bird? Do they do She's the got same? a bird in her truck, hasn't she, when all the horses oh, and cows yes. die. Yeah, so yeah, I imagine yeah. that bird dies. Um, oh, yeah. Depending on what's going on. I got a bit of a weak one. Ed. Don't bother then. Okay. It's really good now, though, I've decided just in the last three seconds. Do it. It's okay. probably the best. It. Uh, both movie productions took a long time in finding the right location for the landing sites. They searched for ages to find the right location for the landing site of the craft in arrival because they didn't want any mountains in the background because they didn't want anything that might dwarf the size of the ship. But they didn't want something that was too barren. Whereas Joe Alves... Spent ages looking for the right mountain before he set on <laughs> tower. I just don't find production interesting. Sorry. No, no. And if Chris just, doesn't, we I know it's bad. Lo- location scouting. <laughs> um, uh, I have got a good one to finish this off. Uh, both, I hope so. Both, <laughs> you've got an uphill battle. Both of these films are about making the ultimate decision. Uh, for Roy, it's about leaving his family. Is it? And, and for Louise, it's about starting a family. It's right. both yeah. about family. Right, you're absolutely not true. Roy doesn't give a fucking hoot. He Can't doesn't even look He's back. already got off with someone else. <laughs> Done. Not now, love. <laughs> All right, then, let's do this. On Thursday, Via's going to be bawling her eyes out as she talks arrival, which means today I'm encountering something closely. Let me take you on a journey. Roy Neary finds his wife annoying and does not want to help his kids with their fractions homework. So when the opportunity arises to hop on a spaceship and leave his family behind without even telling them he's off, well, he jumps at the opportunity. Of course, he's not a total monster. And just before he scarpers into outer space, he does stop for one last kiss. With a woman he's just met, presumably while his wife Ronnie is tearing her hair out at her sister's, wondering where the man she married is. No wonder Lacombe tells Roy, I envy you. (laughs) Who wouldn't envy a bloke who can literally ditch his entire family for an interstellar joyride with no idea when he'll be back? I envy him. To be that lacking in a conscience that you don't even ask someone to pass a message on to your wife and kids is genuinely amazing. Clash Brothers, for your consideration. <laughs> Close encounters of the third kind. I mean, the evidence suggests he'll be away for at least 30 years, <laughs> at least. based on the airmen. All I kept thinking, and is this appropriate? It was a different time. <laughs> did, it, did men walk out on their families in this fashion in the 70s? Well, Spielberg has said it was a, it, he was a different man. Yeah. Right. The, the man who wrote that when he was in his 20s and thought that would be a normal thing to do fine. would not do that now. <laughs> yeah. The message thing, that we, there's so many people around. Like, she's called Ronnie. She's at her sister's. Just you, let her know. Is she the woman you were just kissing over there? No, that's complicated. No, that's, no. Someone, that's Gillian. They do um, look a lot like each other, but they're not the same woman. I was confused. <laughs> but I have got a type. All <laughs> uh, right, then. Individual histories with this movie. I'll start. I've only seen it once when I was way too young. I think I was about seven years old or something, so obviously found it a little bit boring as a child, uh, but also fucking terrifying. Mm. The scene in the farmhouse where the aliens lay siege to Gillian and Barry scared the shit out of me. I had nightmares for years about being dragged out of a dog flap, even before I knew what a dog flap was. Can I tell you my history? Mm. I was seven when I watched it and I was bored, but I was terrified as well. <laughs> yeah. I in the kitchen. It's, it's frightening. It's a horror film. Yeah, it's, yeah. And I got it confused in later years with Poltergeist. Because mm. well, it's, 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 it's the, the same scene. <laughs> yeah. But I never watched it ever. 
confidence to uh, yeah. to Spielberg doing <laughs> a, little bit, yeah. a little bit of work on Poltergeist. But then I couldn't. I watched it through, but then my memory was always I was terrified and then so bored. So mm. I've never watched it again. But I was exactly the same age. Yeah, yeah I, I was a year or two older, maybe. I feel like you watched it because it was like Disney and Spielberg were these two names growing up in the eighties that you knew meant entertainment. You knew yeah. meant it was something good, and especially because of ET, it was like I want to see the next one. So I, I reckon I was a couple of years older, and I was terrified and I was bored out of my mind because <laughs> because guess what it turns out a film about a man maybe having a breakdown and about a dad definitely choosing to sack off his kids isn't that appealing to a nine year old <laughs> yep. yep so should I tell you a bit of a history about uh, this movie I say a bit sure it's a fair, fair bit to get through but uh, it's fun so uh, I didn't know this it predates Jaws in terms of the idea Spielberg before he started working on Jaws was trying to come up with a narrative for a story he had in his head about UFOs and Watergate. Did not know this. It was so weird. Did you think it was weird when it says written and directed by Steven Spielberg yes. at the top? Because he doesn't really write that mm. many films. Yeah. This is one of four movies where he actually has a credit on Poltergeist, this, AI, and this latest film that's coming out early next year, The Fablemans, the only films where he's been actually involved in the screenplay. But obviously they've since revealed that a lot of people wrote this film. Mm. And there's a great interview with Matthew Robbins who tells, who talks about what he added to the script. He wrote this film, essentially. <laughs> he bought so many, he, he said when he got it, um, and he did this without pay because they were mates. Yeah. He said, I came up with the crescendo summit where all the people meet. I came up with the child being taken. I came up with the mother going on the adventure with him. I came up with Devil's Tower. I came up with the anthrax. And it's like, you wrote the movie, yeah. Matthew. Yeah. For zilch. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wasn't involved at this early stage. So initially it was called Watch the Skies, about flying saucers landing in West Hollywood. I think we touched on this on the Temple of Doom episode because yeah. he pitched it to his friends, his writer's friends, Willard Hike and Gloria Katz, and they told him it was the worst idea they'd ever heard. <laughs> and they would go on to write and direct Howard the Duck. Mm. Oh, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so he brings in Paul Schrader to write a script, and that doesn't go well. As Spielberg calls Schrader's script, one of the most embarrassing screenplays ever professionally turned into a major film studio. Wow, when did he say that? At the time? At the time, yeah. Jesus! Crazy. Yeah. I'm standing right here, Stephen. <laughs> I'm we're, actually quite good at this. We're literally in the same meeting. <laughs> Schrader's known to be a difficult man. Maybe he did it on purpose just yeah. to wind up Spielberg. <laughs> well, either way, they part company and Spielberg gets John Hill to do a rewrite. Doesn't like that script either, saying Hill was trying to make a James Bond-style adventure and also the character of Roy was a police officer at that point and Spielberg wanted a more everyman. He didn't think we could relate to someone in uniform. So he's not a fan of that. So he starts working on his own script called Kingdom Come and he refuses to call it science fiction. And it's because Spielberg calls it science speculation. At this point in his life, he was a mad UFO nut, mm-hmm. like to the point where you watch interviews around the time and he talks about how he genuinely believes we've been visited in the 20th century by aliens. Should we cover that off? Do you believe that? Good question. It was coming up, but yeah, let's do it now. <laughs> I believe in aliens. I don't believe we've been visited by them. I agree with you. You. Same. Yeah. Yep. I believe they're out there. I believe they don't give one shit about us. And mm. if only we were so lucky as to have a rival type scenario. But they're definitely there. Yeah. You mean entirely self-serving aliens that basically sort of seem a little bit altruistic for most of the movie, and then you really dig down and go, they're literally only here because they need our help they in 3,000 yeah. years. Unfucking believable It really undoes that movie for me. I'm like, fuck them. Fuck 
Black Habit in death process. <laughs> anyway, spoiler alert if you haven't watched Arrival yet this week. <laughs> it's Thursday. Uh, so... Uh, he says he's changed his tune now. He says, with the advent of so many different phones, video cameras, etc., the fact that we have still no irrefutable proof means he's more of a sceptic now. But he bloody loved Aliens. Um, did either of you choose to watch his short 1964 film he made when he was 17 called Firelight? No. It's three minutes available on YouTube. A lot of the same themes as Close mm. Encounters, uh, except the twist in that is that the aliens want to take humans back to their own planet to create a human zoo. Cool. Wow. <laughs> Very Twilight Zone. Yeah, there, that's what I thought. It's, I looked it up. It's an episode called oh. uh, People Are Alike All Over, where it turns out he thinks the aliens are friendly and then they put him through a door and he's in a cage and it's like, welcome to your home forever. You're in a zoo on another planet. Right. Spielberg's breakthrough with his idea came when he met an astronomer by the name of Dr. Alan J. Hynek, who is a fascinating character. He was employed by the US government on Project Blue Book, which was their documentation of all these UFO sightings, and he was brought in to debunk them. And he did that for years, but he eventually found there were certain cases that he just simply could not debunk. Mm. And so he switched, I guess, sides and became a UFOologist. He basically decided that actually they were a thing and he came up with this whole classification system of close encounters. So first is seeing the mm. UFO. Second is physical evidence. And as we know from the film, close encounters of the third kind is where you actually meet an alien. So he's a consultant of this movie. He's the guy with the pipe and the beard who just appears and you go, he looks like someone <laughs> at the landing site at the end. Right. That's him. He's in the movie. So Spielberg was struggling to get anyone to finance his film uh, before Jaws. Weirdly, that changed after Jaws. Uh, he couldn't move for offers, so he's got this deal at Columbia. It's produced by, oh my God, I went down a wormhole on this. Michael Phillips and Julia Phillips. Have either of you read You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town I Again? I have a long time ago, yeah. Mm. So Julia Phillips is a producer on this movie, and um, she basically wrote this expose on the dark side of Hollywood and was blacklisted after that. Uh, she was actually fired uh, from this film during post-production, allegedly for her cocaine addiction. Mm. <laughs> uh, Francois Truffaut, uh, he publicly criticised her as incompetent. She rejected that charge, writing that she has essentially nursed Truffaut through his self-created nightmare of implied hearing loss, sickness and chaos during this production. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in terms of writing... As Chris mentioned, other people were involved, but Spielberg talks about how he started with the end of this. He had this idea for the landing site and worked backwards from there in terms of how he got all his characters to that place. Casting-wise, oh, have you heard the Steve McQueen story? No, tell me. He was Spielberg's first choice, right? Steve McQueen. And so Steve McQueen invites him to a bar uh, in his hometown, and Spielberg goes, and this is this is how much of a movie nerd Spielberg was. So he's what in his twenties at this point, and this time he goes to meet Stephen Steve McQueen in a bar is the first time he's ever been in a bar, right? He and he's like he says it like it's normal. He's like I've never been in a bar until that point. It's like what the fuck. 
I mean, it worked for him because look at what he's kind of achieved not being in bars. But kind of. Good on him. He, d- he did drink, he said. He did. He had yeah. a couple of beers. He had three beers while Steve McQueen had 14. Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a fight in the bar. Steve Mc- he says Steve McQueen would definitely have got involved in if I hadn't been there. But he decided to not get involved because we were having this chat about the movie. Anyway, Spielberg thinks McQueen is going to say yes because they're having this great chat. He loves the script. Yeah. And in the end, he goes, Yeah, I can't cry on cue when it's in the script. So I'm not doing it. Right. <laughs> that was his thing. He was like, I cannot cry on film. Mm. Which I think is... On I mean, film or on cue? As in, he doesn't want to be seen to cry. No, on cue. No, it was on cue. Okay. Yeah. He, he said he couldn't physically do it. He wanted to do the film, but I can't physically do it when you okay, ask me fine. to. Right. And Bless Spielberg said, I'll take it out. Yeah. <laughs> I really want you in this film. Yeah. Yeah. And, and McQueen <laughs> said, no, it's a really yeah. important moment in the film. You shouldn't take it out. And they, they they parted ways but stayed friends. Mm. Oh, drinking buddies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so James Kahn, Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Gene Hackman were all considered and said no. Jack Nicholson said no. Dreyfus played the long game on this one. So he was working with Spielberg on Jaws. They had lots of conversations about Close Encounters. Dreyfus started telling him what would he do with the character. And eventually he's like, actually, I think I should fucking play this character. Mm. And so, I mean, he tells it as an anecdote, but he says he used to walk past Spielberg's office and say things like, Jack Nicholson is too crazy. Al Pacino has no sense of humour. And in the end, Spielberg was like, I want to cast him. But I think he wanted to cast him anyway, because he talks about Dreyfus as basically being him in films, yeah. like he is the version of Spielberg in the movies, both in Jaws and in this, and in Always as well, he says. So, Gerard Depardieu considered for Lacom. Cool. Yeah, because uh, Spielberg always wanted Francois Truffaut, but he thought he would say no. And in the end, he said yes. And this is the, his only acting role in a film he did not direct and his only role in an English language film. Right. Meryl Streep was up for Ronnie. Uh, but Terry Gar gets the role, even though she wanted to play Gillian. Uh, but that role went to Melinda Dillon, who we all recognise. From Bigfoot and the Hendersons. She's Nancy Bigfoot. Oh. <laughs> Nancy Bigfoot, Nancy Henderson. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, this is the first time Spielberg collaborated with his editor, Michael Kahn, who again, I didn't know, has done every single Spielberg movie from this point, apart from E.T., including the upcoming The Fablemans. Uh, he doesn't get an Oscar for this, but he is nominated. Um, he owns the record for the most Oscar nominations for a film editor with eight and he's won three for Saving Prime Ryan, Schindler's List, and this. And he says, uh, Spielberg says, he interviewed 30 editors and getting Michael Kahn was the best decision he's made as an entire, in his entire life. Wow. Mm. Aside from John Williams. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That, that yeah. worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think he says without Michael Kahn, he says it's, it's fascinating. He says that the ending of this movie, and this is in a documentary that I watched from two thousand and seven. And so you consider what Spielberg's done at this point. He's done Jurassic Park. He's done the, the opening to Saving Private Ryan. He calls this still the end of this movie, the most difficult thing mm. he's ever had to do. I can see that. In terms mm. of the scale? In terms well, of the, the coverage. Edit, yeah, yeah, pulling it all together. Because oh, there's, there's a right. lot going on and it could be... I, if you watch some of the delete, not deleted scenes, the outtakes, it's so much of it looks terribly ridiculous. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, I can see... And, and getting the, the, the colours and the sound and the light and the performance Performances all working yeah, together. And keeping it his story when there's about a thousand other people there. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And especially considering that none of the effects, people were reacting to nothing. So getting that sense of awe, you know, there's no mothership, there's nothing there. There's just like a, a light on a stand. And yeah. to actually sort of get the emotion, because the end of this film, whoa, is, uh, is pretty incredible. 
Uh, so, yeah, it just got one Oscar, just the one. Uh, best Cinematography for Vilmos Zygmunt. Uh, but it was a hit. <laughs> I love Spielberg. He does. He does. He does enjoy talking about the bottom line uh, a lot when it comes to his movies. I read. I read something ages ago where he's like, "I make one call on a Monday morning after my movie's opened, and it's to my accountant to see how much money it's made." Correct. And on this, he talks about how he's still a bit pissed off that Columbia released it for six weeks in two cinemas, one in New York and one in LA, as opposed to doing the wide release that works so well for Jaws. Because yeah. it's like it could have made even more money. Yeah. But it's also obviously famously the film where he swapped points with George Lucas. Oh, yes. Yeah. So uh, Lucas made money off this film, but Spielberg made more money off Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Right then. Uh, Any more for any more? No. Right. Shall we get into this movie? We open in Mexico in a dust storm in the Sonoran Desert. So originally Spielberg, had he had the money to do his original vision, which he didn't, wanted to set this in the Amazon rainforest Mm -hmm. in South America. And he wanted Lacombe literally hacking through undergrowth to uncover these planes. Would have been interesting if he'd done that because it means that the start of Raiders would have to be different. <laughs> like, literally, he couldn't do it again. So what the start of Raiders would have been if he'd had the money to do Such it here. Such a good point. <laughs> so we find the planes which went missing in 1945. Flight 19 disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle, and here they are, in pristine condition with fuel in the tanks. Uh, so in reality, they still have not found these planes. They're just in the sea. The sea's massive. Well, it's quite an interesting story. So this uh, treasure hunter uh, called Graham Hawks in the early 90s claimed to have found the planes. And then they said, actually, these aren't the planes. These are a different flight. And he was like, yeah, OK. And the documentary about him discovering them actually ends with him going, yeah, it's just a weird coincidence that I found these other planes that had disappeared. And then he's come forward in 2012 saying the Pentagon uh, and his investors wanted him to make the story go away because it was better financially for them for some reason. Mm. So actually, he now says, statistically, these have to be Flight 19. Okay. Mm. Okay. Good job. Uh, We meet Truffaut as Lacombe. He really does have the kindest face. (laughs) I, I 100% agree. I think he's lovely in this yeah. role. Yeah, I do. I just, I'd forgotten he was in it and then I was surprised to see him mm. and I had to double check yep. that I'd read the thing right, that it was him. Because it doesn't make much sense to me. And the, and he's very good. He's but. very good. It doesn't matter. But it, it's um, there, there's a, deleted scenes with him and Bob Balaban. They're so good that you could have had a film just about these two. <laughs> yeah. Like the first time he meets Balaban and he says, I want you to be my translator. And Balaban says, yeah, he goes, yeah, not just my words, my feelings and my emotions. And Balaban says, yeah, I can do that. And then he tests him because he's got a sex book that he's bought at the airport. And he reads <laughs> out a sex thing and says, right, say it how I said it. And Balaban <laughs> has to do this. And they're like, they're like a buddy couple yeah. cop thing. And yeah, that, I could have watched... A whole film about them. They're great. They're great. And I love the fact that, you know, he's a translator now, but he's really a map maker. Comes That's useful later. later. Yeah. <laughs> Very useful. He's like, there's so much we don't know. <laughs> GPS and maps. <laughs> so, and then we're into this air traffic control scene. Three aircraft see a UFO. None of them want to report it. Lovely rule of three when he asks each pilot. Pilot one, negative. Pilot two, negative. Pilot three. I wouldn't know what kind of report yeah, to file. Yeah, so good. Brilliant. And it's, I just, I think I love this scene. It's just a group of people sitting round yeah. and it makes you really work. It builds up the mystery. It's because they're talking over each other. Mm. So you have to, you have to sharpen your, your hearing because you, you're worried about missing out on important information, but it makes it feel, you know, the verisimilitude because that's how people that are experts at their job do talk. They don't mm. wait for the other person to finish yeah. in an intense 
emergency situation. And as Julia Phillips said while they were shooting it, no one builds up excitement like Spielberg. And that, I think that's true to this day, 40 years on, no one does it. But it's not just the excitement, it's just so ominous. These these three mm. scenes, one after the other. It's setting up a horror film, yes. which I think, you know, eight-year-old us thought yeah. <laughs> it yeah. succeeded with. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and again, you sort of you do want to see the UFO that's being described. Lights brighter than any collision lights I've ever seen, etc. But it's time to head to Indiana. And we meet the film's secret weapon, Barry! <laughs> God, that kid is so fucking good. <sighs> Isn't How did he? they do that? Like, do you want to know? Yeah. So they okay. showed he's not acting. When, he's, when he sees the toys no, he's in never the acting. fridge, he's, he's not, acting, is it? That's no. just a little boy doing his thing. It's because Spielberg can direct kids really well because he's, like, he's a bit of a child, especially at this point. You know, he's this childlike man, a man-child. Uh, so it's played by a guy called Carey Guffey and um, he's interviewed in the 1997 making of documentary. Uh, he got discovered purely because the casting director's niece went to his kindergarten and she was picking up her niece one day, sees him and goes, yes, brings him to Spielberg. <laughs> and the bit that you're talking about that expression when he walks in on yeah. his face that's that it's just perfect because it's real yeah yeah and it's because steven spielberg did the eyeline right it's up a stepladder unboxing a toy car no. that he's promised carrie oh he's God. going to get because that's exactly he looks like he's in father christmas yeah. he's yeah. like hooray so he's steven spielberg slowly opening this toy box oh, bless him Could make a fortune on youtube doing that these days <laughs> But he opens this box, and that's why you get Barry later saying toys because he's actually seeing toys, and ah, they kept it in the film. I thought the toys was from the the scene where he says it, and this is the gorilla scene. Mm, this is the gorilla scene. Yeah, yeah. this is the gorilla scene because his expression changes. Yeah. So what's happening here? is Spielberg has dressed up two crew members as a clown and a gorilla. And Carey said that Spielberg, before every single scene, told me what was going to happen so that I wouldn't be frightened. Mm. He said, this is the only time he didn't tell me. So I walked out and out of a box came a clown mm. and out of a box came a gorilla. And I was a bit frightened. And then the gorilla took off the mask and it was the makeup artist who he knew. And that's when he starts smiling. Right. And so he's quizzical and then he's a bit scared and then he's happy. Yeah. And that's all because of this thing that had been set up. Amazing. Mm. Really good. Yeah. He's so good, that kid. Um, finally, we're off to meet Roy Neary. And we'll learn about Roy and who Roy is after this break. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Roy Neary, played by Richard Dreyfus. He's annoyed at having to help his kid with his homework. He's dulled by the mundanity of his life. He's playing with his trains. So this is a question. Who is he exactly? Now, at this point, before he's had the UFO experience, do we think he's already bored of his existence and doesn't like the mundanity of his life? Or is it when Devil's Tower gets imprinted in his mind and he starts having these visions and realises UFOs and aliens may actually be a thing? That's what triggers him to leave his family? Or do you think he wants to leave them at this stage before then? I think he might be a man that is reaching for something more, but is kind of comfortable and therefore can't be arsed. And he's basically happy because after the car, he looks changed. When I first wrote that, I was like, he's changed. It's like, he isn't that changed, actually. He just looks activated. Like he's realised that there's something bigger that he could reach for. And that gives him the motivation to make good on the promises he made to himself, which is this isn't quite enough for me. But that's bad. I mean, there's nothing wrong with his family life. Like it's very normal. Mm. So I do feel sorry for his wife and kids that he's like, I hate this house. And I hate the way that the kids like run around and like that little brother destroying his sister's dolls. Like, total chaos so i think he maybe wants more but he probably wouldn't have done anything about it if he hadn't seen something beyond okay all of it i guess i'm looking for an excuse like if we, oh, did, right. if we did it the other way round, right. and actually he loved his family and that was yeah. just regular regular wednesday evening stuff you know a little bit of chaos he wants to play with his trains i think he does love his family yeah i would i would fall on that side of thing well, i think i, I think why he's a does bit... he fucking leave them then <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll get, we'll get to that yeah, we'll because obviously that. something happens that I think changes him a little bit. But um, but here I think I think he's not the, the worst dad. He's a bit frustrated. He's quite funny. Yeah. He wants to show him to Pinocchio. He does a good maths lesson with his son, having moaned. Yeah, like he's just a bit of a character, really. I think it's a very normal house. I think yeah. when you're showing a family on film, they'd be like, "Hey, son, do you want to do some fractions?" But normal family life is like, "Oh, I can't be bothered, but I've got to do it." And I think it's quite healthy for parent and children yeah. to be honest with each other. I want to go to the cinema, he wants to go play golf and mm. like these are the arguments that you have at home. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, it's just it's just if it was just the aliens and he was fine and he would never have done any of this, then it's sort of like, well, he's not really even himself anymore when he gets on that spaceship at the end. Yeah. So you kind of go that's fine. But yeah, you're right. He wants to uh, he wants the family to go see Pinocchio. Uh, apparently Spielberg listened to When You Wish Upon a Star uh, from the Disney movie Pinocchio to put him in the mood when he was writing this. Mm-hmm. And uh, an initial test screening, he'd actually put that song over the 
mothership yeah, not. disappearing. No, no, no. Like, actually, the song oh, okay. over the credits. Yeah. Disney movie, as the mothership disappears and the credits appear on screen, okay. he played the original cut of the film yeah. for the test screenings, played When You Wish Upon a Star. And he said he immediately took it out after he was in the o- o- audience and he watched people laughing yeah, at the too, screen. Too corny mm. is, is what oh, they thought. Okay. But it's all over the film, isn't it? it? Is, you yeah, you yeah. hear the notes in even in the main theme. You hear the notes, and then there's a Pinocchio doll later on, isn't mm. there? A little a little statue. So, right then, he's off. Roy's off out in his truck, and we get it's another. And admittedly, it's a long drawn out rule of three, but it is a rule of three. So we see some headlights heading towards the camera that we're not sure what they are, right yeah, at the right. very start <laughs> in Mexico, and you just see these orbs coming yeah. towards you. Then here we get some actual traffic, and then the final one, <laughs> the moment they go vertically, really is good. amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. So good. Oh, um, I love you touched on this. I think we touched on this. Yeah, you did in the connection section. The effects of what happens in the truck. Really mm. cool. Yeah, yeah it's like brilliant. Putting it on a gimbal and turning yeah. it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. But also, because what point does he start coughing? Is it during the thing or is it after the experience? Because I thought the coughing, I know it's only a little thing, but it was it's good because it's like that could, it, it, it feels like it nearly killed you and yet you'll still go and do it again. Mm. Um, but he sort of twitches at the end of it as well a little yeah. bit. And then that's where you wonder, well, you said that they've imprinted on him. Have they brainwashed him in some way? This is a question. It's, 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 and it, that's where it gets complicated. And then, and then all those people that showed up to the end, were they all imprinted on? <clears throat> and then were they picked on purpose? Why were they picked? It's... Right. And that's the big question. And I don't know if it matters or not, mm. but it is a really big question. Was this just happenstance that he happened to be there when the mothership flew over? Mm-hmm. Or was he sought out? And but the then, trouble is, we can't know the answer to that question because we don't spend any time with anyone else who had the experience that he had. Yep. Then it Apart makes it from, a sad story, though, because he's been brainwashed into leaving his family yeah. and he hasn't chosen, it's not his free will. Yes, so. and it doesn't, feel like, it doesn't feel like that's what's happening now. No. You're right, but it's, it's, it's just, a, it's just a, it's an, a weird unanswered question, I think, is who are those other people and why? Hmm. Um, we get that beautiful shot of the shadow crossing over the truck. Apparently that was... Filmed for the original theatrical cut, but taken out. And Michael Kahn, the editor, was like, the minute we got to do the special edition, which I'll talk more about later, we put that shot back in. And it's a great shot. Just you get the scale of the thing above. So he arrives at the bend in the road where some other people, like you say, have already arrived and are waiting, apparently, for the craft. Um This scene was inspired by Spielberg's dad waking him up as a kid in the middle of the night and dragging him to a field uh, where people were sitting around and it was to watch a meteor storm. Oh, nice. And he remembers it to this day. And he talks about this a lot as why so many of his films, especially in this period, were made about the unknown and what is beyond. And his fascination with that came from sort of looking up and seeing this meteor shower. Um, I was going to say another connection in these films is about half an hour if both films are spent with people looking up. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, much like uh, the story of his dad, uh, Roy wakes his family up and drags them out of bed to see the craft, um, except that whereas Spielberg was impressed... His wife, Ronnie, is not impressed. She's quite good about it, though. She says that, in <laughs> yeah. fact. Don't you think I'm taking this rather well? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also, she hasn't seen the craft, which look really cool. I mean, you can go down a, a massive wormhole about the effects on this movie, but that, that sort of just the light that it emits and like how he came up with that is fascinating. He basically used to park by LAX airport 
and watch the planes landing and the effect of the landing lights on the planes coming through the cloud and the mist. Mm. And he saw it and he was like, I want to put that on film. Mm. And that's what he told his effects team. I want that effect. And they went out and they did it, which Brilliant. is how we get these amazing effects. Ah, so uh, she kisses him. Ronnie kisses Roy, but he can't help but look up to the sky. <laughs> He's already his planning his escape. Also, yeah. <laughs> He's already <laughs> like, give it a week. Oh, I'm going to be out of Where's fucking Gillian? here. Where's Gillian? She here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's met Gillian. Uh, I think already because he nearly knocks down Barry. And then she he goes over to her and goes, oh, are you okay? She's already let Barry go again. She has, he's yeah. running back into the road. Different time, different time. I was like, what, Gillian? For fuck's sake, man. Put him some reins. At this point, you've got one job. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone once. <laughs> oh, uh, so, another scene that Spielberg couldn't afford for the a th- theatrical release, uh, but added in for the special edition is the Copaxi uh, in Mongolia. The SS Copaxi, really shot in the Arizona desert. Uh, so this has never been found. Another vessel... Uh, disappeared in 1925 in the Bermuda Chi- Triangle. Uh, all 32 crew members missing and never been found. Yeah, and you can see why they cut it out, but I'm so pleased they put it in. Oh, I love it. It's so a great much, scene. It's yeah. a great scene. It just it makes the same point that the previous scene made with the end. Yeah, but it's fantastic. I it's... just loved. It. I love the the like the smash of things like that. I would just, just even though it, like it's a cheat and it makes no sense narratively, I want as much of that as possible. Mm. Mm. It builds the mystery. It looks good. It's spectacle as well. The cars jumping over the sand dune, yeah. the helicopters hovering around, and like just that. The fact that it's a miniature ship in the foreground. It's like. That's like they, it's actually just a tiny mm. ship, and they shot it with forced perspective, yeah, cool. and you're just like, oh, practical effects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm that guy. Uh, so. Ronnie's now cutting away UFO stories from the newspaper so Roy doesn't see them, but he's already having visions of dev- Devil's Tower in the shaving foam. So basically, Ronnie just wants a normal life. She sort of, she wants like her family, her husband, the kids, friends with the neighbours, living in Mm. suburbia, normality. And so she's embarrassed that her husband has gone down this wormhole. Yeah, well, it was clear at the start she was getting annoyed with him not stepping up and doing his bit Mm. bit in the household. And so this is making it slightly worse. He's now completely switched off. I still feel like, I get it, now that I've thought about it, but it just feels that we'll get to it when they have their big argument. It feels still feels like it comes out of nowhere a bit because she's like, you're embarrassing us and in front of our friends, but I haven't seen that. Like I've just seen a man that's had a big experience be a little bit tuned out, yeah. but that's not such a big deal. There's a deleted scene mm. though, where they're at uh, the party, you know, where she's like put on this uh, cream or will tell people you fell asleep yes. under the sunlight. Yeah, that yeah. is her basically preparing to take him to a garden party where clearly yeah. I haven't seen the whole scene. I've only seen a snapshot of it, but yeah. I'm assuming he embarrasses her there. Yeah, I think a yeah. lot of it's because she's such a warm person anyway. It's hard to believe that she'd be that annoyed as she gets later. Yeah, uh, he, he's zoning out while he's while other guys are talking to him. Right. And then I think he sees something that reminds him of Devil's Tower and he starts pointing and asking about it. And so, yeah, it would have made that make more sense because mm. you would have seen what she's referring to. And there's another deleted scene where he's not very nice to his son standing on the roof. Oh, yes. Uh, and it, it, so so it, it, that stuff builds up and they just pulled it out. So that's why, Vicky, it's just... Um, Slightly, slightly missing. I got a bit confused with the timeline here. So Roy gets fired and they don't even want to speak to him. But this, the way he's looking at himself in the mirror with the sunburn, it feels like he's seeing that for the first time. 
Yes. Not like so it feels like and the day after. It does. Yeah, but then the firing would make sense the day after because but why? Because he hasn't he hasn't spoken to work and the power came back on, so they've yeah, got no but reason it, to fire him. I think it was him. out for too. My thing was like you know when you just let your brain makes the leap and it's not there, but it's just it was out for too long. So he gets sent on the call, go and fix the power, and it's out for quite a long time. So he okay. gets fired. I don't know. Okay, it's the government not getting him fired. Mm. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, we're in Dharamsala, India. Uh, we hear the song. For the first time, uh, again, this is just a cool scene in terms of the scale. Yeah, it's of awesome. The well, do you know how it came about? Go on. Um, so it, it did cost quite a bit of money. Colombia let him go off and do this because they had rupees frozen in India that they couldn't take out of the country. Ooh. So they were looking for an excuse to spend the rupees. Awesome. And Spielberg said. I can do it. So <laughs> Bang. It's a tax loss. Pretty much. Amazing. <laughs> That's a great fact. Yeah, it just it just looks great. It looks great, this scene. And now from hearing the song, we see Lacombe at a conference where he uses Hungarian composer Zoltan Kolde's Kolde method to show which hand gestures match to each of the five notes. I was definitely falling asleep at eight years old here. But as a grown-up, you're like, that's oh, yeah, no, fucking no, I'm amazing. Into, I'm, into, I'm just saying that, that, that this is the point, I think, where I was switching off completely. Yeah, because you're like, this, where's the A? Where's, where's E.T.? We're in a, are we in a conference centre? Yeah, that's a problem, obviously. <laughs> but now it's, it's, it's amazing. So John Williams apparently came up with over 300 different five-note sequences that he and Spielberg went through before settling on the iconic one now that they use in the film. Uh, William was nominated for two Academy Awards in 1978. Greedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Wars and this. Right. Yeah, I guess which one he won for? Star it's Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and we see uh, Truffaut speak a bit of English here. So apparently Truffaut was quite self-conscious about his lack of being able to speak English. Didn't enjoy having to speak it in the film because he didn't want to look stupid. Which makes a story that Spielberg or I think someone else on the film tells about what they did kind of cruel. There's a scene later where he's talking about how all these people who've had this vision of Devil's Tower mm-hmm. have been come, have come to the site. Been invited. And he goes, yeah. he goes, uh, uh, what's the line? They have more, they have more right to be here than we. Yeah, than we. Yeah. And, uh, Anyway, basically, based on hearing it, everyone was like, is he speaking French? I don't know. Is that English? And they were like, yeah, he's speaking English. But they uh, they had T-shirts made after hearing him deliver that line saying, uh, they have more reason to be here, Mozambique. What's yeah. wrong with people? I don't know. I, I guess, I, apparently, when they tell this anecdote, that like, he thought it was funny. I'm like, I don't think did he? Did. <laughs> did he, though? Or did he go, fuck yeah. this, I'm never going to be in an English language movie yeah. again? Can't Which be bothered with this. what happened. <laughs> yeah. What is it with people making not funny T-shirts on film I sets? Know, what Ridley Blade Scott? Runner, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Roy goes back to the bend, hoping to see the aliens again, but he meets Gillian again, who is now very tactile. She's uh, <laughs> She doesn't mess around. She's a single lady. <laughs> I hey, I've no judgment, but she is handsy. She's looking for her father to Bobby, I guess. 
and he's not very forthcoming. He's not father to anyone. He's, so. not, he's not forthcoming about. It. I've got I've got a wife. He's probably yeah. taking the ring Three off at this kids. point. We're on a break. We're on a break. <laughs> Does she know? <laughs> I don't know if uh, do they have metal detectors when I board the alien ship in the future. I tell you what, I was so disappointed when they do kiss because they are quite tactile with each other, but they've been through an intense shared experience, and that does bond people together. And you think, well, that can bond you together, and you can be tactile with each other, like for support, just for like, am I going mad or is this real? And it doesn't have to like flip over to anything else. So I thought, oh, this is a very grown up thing to do. Like, like to explore a very deep platonic relationship, and then it's not. Yeah, yeah. I, you were being very generous there because it, it literally looks yeah. like he's like, God, it looks like I'm the only man getting on that ship. So what do I want to remember Earth by? Well, yeah, probably a little bit of a, a little bit of a snog before it's, I get on because I'm not going to be doing this again for a while, 30 years at least. But I think he's getting on thinking, who knows what they've got up there? So it's a pleasure dome. That is what you think. It reminds me of man, sex palace. Man on Wire, though. That guy, that's what he does when he comes off the, the World Trade Centre. Have you seen the documentary? Yeah. Man on Fire? Yeah. I, I, from what I remember, he walks straight past his girlfriend, who he's been with for a while, and there's a beautiful girl there who's amazed at what he's done. He starts getting off with her, and that's how he left his girlfriend. Because he felt like he'd earned it, basically. That's a dick. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. What a nasty person. He's amazing. <laughs> Weirdly, uh, I think Robert Zemeckis left that out of his dramatisation, because <laughs> how do you sell that shit? <laughs> uh, so... Uh, we get this scene now uh, where the ufologist team uh, get a series of numbers. It comes back in. David Lochlin is a map maker. Uh, this is a scene again that Spielberg added later where they rip the globe out of the manager's office. Why have and- they not got a map? I don't understand it. <laughs> Why have they not got an E3 atlas of some description? Uh, we're back. Oh, the scene we talked about at the start. Uh, Gillian and Barry's farmhouse uh, for the scene that scared the shit out of uh, three of us. Um, all of us, in fact. And uh, again, I had added a lot of credence to the idea that Spielberg had a hand in directing Poltergeist. Um, it's just so good. That incredible effect of the clouds in mm, the sky. Very Ghostbusters. Yeah. I thought you'd like that. <laughs> I do. Every time I see that kind of shit <laughs> yeah. from the 80s, 70s, 80s movies where they do clouds in the sky, I'm like, Vicky loves that. Flash, <laughs> Flash Gordon as well, did yeah. it? course yeah this was first though because mm. they, they invented the tech how do you want to, this might put you to sleep but it fascinated me so fuck it i'll do it quickly go on you put salt water in the bottom of a big container mm-hmm. and then a layer of fresh water on the top and you dip uh, you drop paint yeah. into the okay. fresh water and because it doesn't mix in the salt water it creates that flat layer where it sort of oh, all wow. spreads out that's so, great painting water who who was it doing that was it trumbull or murin Whichever, whichever one of those two, he said that that was the moment that Columbia sort of relaxed when they saw that effect on video. He said, all it takes is one moment and then a, a studio calms down about all the money you're spending. And they were like, wow, we've, we've got something here. Wow. Um, just because it ticks a little box for me, the POV shot of the alien coming down the chimney mm. while Gillian. Terrifying. It's like the POV shot from the original It where the creature is coming down the pipe. <gasps> down the pipe, it's yeah. It's literally, I never knew, because that is the best shot yeah. in that TV series. And you're like, oh, of course it is, because it's here. In yeah. this, you borrowed it, <laughs> yeah. the deadlights and all that. And, and yet, logically, what are they up to? 
the alien. Yeah, what are they doing? They've come for Barry. They're trying yeah, to but steal why, Barry. Why are they unscrewing like screws? <laughs> like it's just it's a why are they getting everything out the fridge? It's like it's a lot. When you think about it, it doesn't make a huge amount of None sense. None of it makes sense. That's why you like. I am in a horror film because it's the mm. slow invasion and then the realization that this mother, there's nothing she can do because they're going to do a poltergeist and they're going to convince the little critter to go through like he goes of his own volition more or less mm. like he wants to go so no matter what she does she can't protect her child it's so so scary especially when you're seven like, yeah like, it's too much absolutely terrifying but yeah that shot where barry opens the door and yeah he's bathed in the light from the alien craft that is the shots that spielberg when he he says when i ever go to bed at night i think back to close encounters it's that shot of yeah. barry opening the door that reminds me of this movie and it's because the whole movie for him is about the innocence of a child and how the unknown isn't scary it's exciting yeah. and he's opening the door because he's excited he wants to see the alien whereas his mom is terrified of the alien yeah. But then he says something that I can't understand and I've tried to. And I'm going to repeat it now just in case you have an inkling because he says opening the door to a new experience in the 70s was a safe experience. Sadly, in the 21st century, people have a different interpretation of opening doors. I, th- I just think it means that we're a bit more cynical now than we were then, that we were, we were an optimistic people and that light offered promise rather than danger is mm. how he saw the world. I mean, he himself just says growing he, up then. It's just, but he specifically he doesn't talk about it in a personal way. He talks about it as that time period, like yeah. the seventies were different to now. But well, yeah, in maybe. the way that he believed in UFOs, and he does it now. Mm. Um, it, Isn't that just getting older though? Mm, I think so. I don't know if it's specific to now and I then. I certainly I, hope it isn't. I don't think the world... Obviously, the world is different. I don't think... I think it's, every, it's all relative, isn't it? I don't think the world is any more dangerous. It might be a bit more cynical, but I think... I just think you can... You, yeah, if you're a, a you know of a certain class or whatever, you can say that, and with relative safety and comfort, in the 70s, I'm sure there were many dangerous experiences for yeah. other people. And he's talk, I think he's also talking about people leaving their doors unlocked in mm. the 70s, and it was just a, it was just a less cynical time. Okay. 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 You get it? I'm with you. That's what he's saying. Also, that bit reminds me of Ghostbusters as well, and the fridge. So yeah, the fridge before, yeah. I was like, that's Ghostbusters. And then when Barry opens the door, that's also the fridge scene. It's everywhere. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you see uh, Carrie Guff talking about the bubblegum card spoiling that scene? No. Because when he goes, they had bubblegum cards for Close Encounters that, that you, kids would buy. And, and uh, what? In, what kids would... Yeah. No, what, no kids are watching. It. It's too scary. Uh, and you can see it's his mum pulling him through the dog flap. And in the bubblegum card, you can see her arms yes. pulling him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoil the movie. <laughs> yeah, because uh, that's the question he says. Carrie Guffey, who plays... Barry uh, says he gets asked most, wasn't it scary? And he was like, no, nah, it was my mum. My mum? <laughs> it was my mum pulling me through, so I was fine. <laughs> then we get this meeting with all the people who've had this message from the aliens. They're sitting with the government and the guy is like, it's all nonsense. Just don't believe it. And then you have the guy going, I saw a Bigfoot once. And, yeah. Which is good because it undermines... Like, it's that thing where... It's annoying, though, because he has seen the spacecraft. Mm. He was there. And yeah. so he's now lying about this because he's got to be centre of attention. Did you recognise him? No. Oh, no. my God. He was in a film, a, fi- a Christmas film. 
A beloved <gasps> oh, Christmas oh, film. Oh, he's Home Alone. He's the guy. He's, he's old the guy. man Marley. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. No, no way. Yes. I nearly lost my shit when I found that out. No. Oh, my Didn't God. Didn't recognise him, but... No, I don't recognise him. Oh, God. Did you recognise Lance Henriksen at the end? Mm. The... No. Yeah. yeah. He pops up as a character called Robert, and you're like, that's Lance Henriksen. And it's the only time I think I've ever seen him on film not looking craggy. Yeah. yeah that's why I didn't... Just... One of the techie guys at the end. Yeah. No. Yeah. I like the line in that you can't fool us by agreeing with us. That's such a brilliant, brilliant line. I like the bit where the guy goes, I work in the news media or something, and he's like, we've never been able to capture yeah. a, a, a car crash or a plane crash on film. Which so, doesn't mean they don't happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's I good. It's good. Yep. It's good. Well done, just Steven Spielberg on your work. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that. Well done, the single writer on this movie. Uh, but from the government saying, it's nonsense, we do a hard cut into military people in red suits boarding a disguised bus in the warehouse from Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> the man in charge says, I get white knuckles just thinking about what might be ahead for those guys. So you get this like, okay, something's happening. They're going to be maybe getting on the ship. I don't know. Mashed Potato Mountain, another great dinner scene, like Jaws. Uh, his eldest, I love the fact he's crying because he's just looking at his dad who's lost it. I got annoyed with um, Roy there because unless you really have lost it and you really can't help it, there's being honest in front of your children and then there's some fucking self-control because you're scaring your children. Fascinating. I wrote down exactly the same thing, which is quite simply, but I wrote it as like, I thought it was a good moment because... He knows he should apologise. He knows yeah. he should laugh off the fact he's created this mountain out of mashed potato, but he just can't. He's yeah. like, I think it means something. He keeps repeating, this means something. I think he's a bad bad parent. But like, he's so obsessed. Yeah. Like, it's, he's, he's crossed the line where being the right, doing the right thing isn't there anymore. He's crying, he just... in a, he's crying in a shower later. Yeah, but they, that in my, I was all right with that because he's taken it into a private space so as not to scare the kids. Which I'm not saying you should tamp down your emotions all the time, but I think in, if your son is crying at your silly your mash mountain, just take it to a different room. <laughs> Richard, Richard Dreyfus' nephew playing yes, his son. That's oh, right. is it? Yeah, yeah his nephew yeah, yeah. Justin. Um, I, I read somewhere claiming that the, the, what Roy's going through and then the departure at the end is a metaphor for creative endeavours. Right. For people who want to be creative in their real lives but realise it will take them away from their family and they're not providing for them and it, it, it means that they disappear and the fact that everyone who sees the aliens then does something creative rather than yep. anything else it's a it's a statue or a sculpture or a drawing oh. I don't know if it's, that's real but I thought that was an interesting way of looking at the film that's a nice thing to yeah that's really interesting the, the, the war that you have as a creative artist he sort of an put unpaid it in here. creative yeah. artist yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like us yay <laughs> uh, hi kids yeah, yeah. bye kids <laughs> So I like this shower scene. I get this was retrospectively. I just sort of watched it and I was like, I guess, is this the point where Ronnie and Roy perhaps don't belong together? Because she sees him crying in the shower and she is more concerned with the fact that their friends don't call each other yeah. anymore. And he says, I just want you to put your arms around me and really help me. Yeah. And he's saying that in the shower and she doesn't do that. And in that moment, I sort of, mm. because I'm still looking for a reason for him to get on this fucking ship at the end, I'm yeah. like, would it not have worked anyway? Are they just, was it like, she couldn't do what he needed her to do and she he wasn't what she needed. And so this was already falling apart. This is their two opposite. Yeah, I think it depends what they were like before because him, it's sad for him. He's very vulnerable and he's like, I just need you to hold me and she won't do it. Mm. If he's never asked her that before, 
I understand why she'd be mad about it. Like, where has this all come from? Like, how am I supposed to react to that if you, you've never asked me that before? But if he's if he's always been consistently quite open about his feelings, it is really cruel for her to say no because he needs her. But but then it undoes that because she is the first to apologise the following morning when she sees him pulling out the plants. She's like, I'm sorry about last night before oh, yeah. she realises he's gone completely he's gone mad. mad yeah. And so you're kind of like, oh, actually, so... Then- I think those scenes are the wrong way around. I think the plant stuff should be first. And mm. she's like, what the fuck is this? And then she can shout at him in the shower. That's why she's mad because the plant stuff is you've got, you've so crossed the line. Mm. Then the shower, then when she leaves, it feels more justified. Like she forgave him for the crying, but it was the plants that sent her over the edge. And I think it was the way around. He is chucking bricks through a window as well and shoveling yeah, soil. But he into seems the quite kitchen. happy. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, Spielberg says if he'd had more time, uh, the theatrical cut, he might have cut down this Roy going mad. He says he wondered if it went on a bit too long. I quite like it. Yeah. Um, I think it works because she's had enough and gets in the car and is off to her sisters. And he says, what, are you crazy? You're not even dressed. <laughs> Which is such a great line. Yeah. Well done, just Steven Spielberg. <laughs> um, so, uh, after the farmhouse scene uh, where Barry gets taken, this is my only other memory, just because it's such a striking image of him building the massive devil's tower mm. in the living room. It's impressive. Yeah. Good work, good work, good creative work. It's so weird, though, isn't it? Because like, it's one of those. Obviously, you watch this now, and you're like, reverse image on Google. And like <laughs> back then, he spent ages. Like you, just how would you know that this? I didn't know that when I was doing it on the Twitter, and everyone got it the answer. When <laughs> to I, be honest, I learned what reverse image was probably about six weeks ago. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just it's not part of my life. <laughs> Fine. Why do you use it? Out of curiosity. <laughs> just, in, just in case. Uh, yeah. Gee, just never oh, is it of yourself? No. Oh, all right. I'm asking. I don't know. I've, I've never used it. I can know what something is without using it. No, no you, you can't. You... <laughs> I can and have. <laughs> uh, all right. But it was Joe Alves who uh, he was sent to look for the right mountain and he discovered Devil's Tower in Wyoming. And as the production designer on this, uh, this is where he decided. And Spielberg says that when Joe Alves gave him the model miniature of Devil's Tower and the set he was proposing to build on the landing uh, of the landing site beneath it, that was the catalyst that gave Spielberg the ability to write the final act, which with, I kind of get his, with his friends, <laughs> <laughs> with several of his friends. <laughs> uh, uh, Joe Alves obviously would go on to direct the second best Jaws film, Jaws 3D. Yes, it's better than Jaws 2. Is it? Yeah. Oh. It's a controversial take, but, yeah. you know, that's what I'm in the business of these days. <laughs> Love it. Rock and roll. Thanks. <laughs> Roy and Gillian race to Devil's Tower, dead livestock, which have been killed by the military to mm. add to their lie. Yeah, so, okay, I wanted to check that. So they've been killed by the military. Yeah, there's yeah. no nerve gas. Yeah. No yeah. nerve gas. So then why do they crop dust oh. with gas? That's a sleeping agent, because they're, they're up oh, against it. Yeah, but is it a sleeping agent? Because the way he dead. looked, he looked dead. Yeah. This, is what I'm, this is what I'm wondering. No, it's a it sleeping agent. It makes no agent. sense. There's no one else in the room when the general goes, we'll use the sleeping agent for it to be like, I'm going to pretend it's sure? a sleeping agent. Are you sure agent. there's no one else in the room? No, I mean... The, he doesn't look like he's sleeping. No, he looks really dead. There's something going on with his mouth. 
mouth. That's really? like, yeah, it's yeah. Like I he's thought they, I thought they'd gone. There's gas, and then it's like that's a light. Fuck it, will gas them anyway, which doesn't make any sense. Interesting. That's I think, really fucking I, I, dark. Yeah, I, I'll no. be honest. I'll be honest. I think you're right, but I I also think he's frothing at the mouth that doesn't look good mm. in terms of what what <laughs> I'm taking away ever? from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think he's asleep. I yes, I agree. I agree. It's I just agree. a very weird. Like no one else has been killed. Just this one, <laughs> yeah. just Larry, yeah. who's in it for like two minutes. I know. You, well, I'm in it for two minutes, and I'm the only one who dies. <laughs> well, my thinking is that they they use the same stuff on the on the cattle, right? Yeah. Oh, so they're just asleep as well. <laughs> no, I think they they oh, <laughs> they're frothing at the mouth. <laughs> uh, so they're caught by the military. Uh, Lacombe has an argument with the general about the significance of these regular coming here, people coming here. So you know, Lacombe's a good guy. Mm, that look on his face mm. a bit later when when Roy make when Roy's going for it. I love I love that scene in films mm. where he knows it shouldn't be happening, but he's proud. Yep. <laughs> they belong here, Mozambique. Uh, as you Stop it, Alex. <laughs> Look, that's, I'm just repeating. I'm parroting what I heard in a documentary. It's told to me, the viewer, as an anecdote. Roy and Gillian escape. They take their masks off. There's no gas. They make a break for the mountain. Larry gets asleep. Uh, <laughs> then we finally arrive at this landing site set. Uh, the biggest set ever constructed indoors at the time. Spielberg insisted on shooting as much of this movie as possible indoors because of his experience on Jaws. He was like, <laughs> I'm doing shit all on location. Ever. And he, he, lo- he loved it. He was like, this is great. So... I will say it looks incredible. Yeah. The whole set. Mm. It's just like this as a location for a climax. Once you're there, <clears> it's amazing. It's 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 a regret of mine. I've never seen this on the big screen. Mm. It would obviously have been such a different experience. A, watching it then on the big screen, but even watching it now on the big screen, I'm sure it would be overwhelming. Yeah. It's uh, this huge operatic climax, as Spielberg calls it, the aliens communicating with the humans. I mean, it's it's so slow in some respects, mm. and yet it's utterly gripping mm. and beautiful, and you can't take your eyes off the screen. Um, as I said, this is the most difficult thing he's ever put together, Steven Spielberg. We get more of the cool cloud effect. Gillian's upset as Barry's not there, but Roy wants to get closer. So before he leaves with his wife and family at her sister's, he thinks, why not? Mm. Like, well, what, what they don't she's know. For it doesn't hurt them. Yeah, no. she's into it. But I don't understand why she doesn't go down as well, because she's like, well, Barry's not here, so I'm just going to sit on this rock for a bit. Like, there's a big, there's a spaceship. You know where he is. He's with the aliens. You would run towards it the same as Roy would because mm. you thought your son was there. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, that's true. We see the mothership coming up from behind Devil's Tower. Uh, Spielberg says, look, I really wanted it to appear from behind the tower. I know it should have come down from the skies yeah. because it makes no sense. Like, like wait. <laughs> Was it in a hole in the ground? <laughs> But it just, in a garage, <laughs> yeah, it just works because you get a scale of the ship as it comes up yeah. behind the tower. Um, initially, he just wanted the ship to be this black shape that blotted out the stars in the sky. But while he was in India uh, using Columbia's rupees. landlocked rupees, <laughs> uh, he saw an oil refinery um, that uh, reminded him of this sort of superstructure that he wanted for the ship. And coupled with the lights of San Fernando Valley at night, which is all those crisscrossing lights, that's how we You can we totally get... see that, can't you yeah. now? Once once he said it, all, all I can see now is the San Fernando Valley 100%. lights that you've seen in a million films um, all across there. And and then they've got, but isn't R two D two and C three PO's in there, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, the silhouettes of it. Yeah, 
Um, and it was uh, Ralph McQuarrie who mm. drew a picture of the ship, which Spielberg says uh, he deviated less than 5% from Ralph McQuarrie's original drawing. So McQuarrie, obviously, was the guy who designed Darth Vader mm. and Moss Eisley and did all the concept drawings for George Lucas on Star Wars that sold Fox on the idea of making Star Wars at all. Right. Yeah, the illustration of Mothership is just beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. It is. So we hear, did you notice the Mothership play the theme from Jaws? Yes, I fucking mm. did. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, you when you say, did you notice? Yeah, a lot. Because it's for about an hour. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. I mean, it's fair it's, enough. No, it's, it's not fair enough, though. It's like, it takes you out of the movie. It yeah. doesn't need to be there. And also, he's this isn't the, this, he's not going to leave this alone. Like, Jaws, for him, is like the start of his terrible movie, 1941, that I actually love, because I loved it as a kid. He parodies one of the most effective horror openings in history where the shark attacks Christine oh my God, at the start. Yeah. He parodies that in 1941 where she thinks it's a shark and it's a submarine right. that comes up from below and well, it's mad. Well, this could have been parody. If Did you see the test footage of the McDonald's um, oh, arches? Yeah. Because yeah. they were going to have... One of the ideas was to make us feel safe that the aliens have obviously been here before, mm. that they've taken away certain things that they feel we're comfortable with and they were going to show them in the air. So two of the, two of the ships, their lights were going to make the golden arches of mcdonald's and no. then another logo the chevron, chevron logo yeah. in the air and then the 76 gas station logo so in the air people from north america would feel comfortable yeah <laughs> but that's it well yeah. that's where they've gone okay they, great. They, they've come back to where they've taken these things okay from. um so they didn't use that which you know was a good move but then did you clock the oxygen mask and the toy truck Yes, because they they just stopped designing stuff at one point, and one one of the spaceships you can once you've told it you can see it's a toy truck with lights on it. The other is literally an oxygen mask with a couple of lights on it. Okay, just flying through the air, and and that's how they've done it. And to the naked eye, you wouldn't notice it. Mm. Yeah, here's I almost, what you've got. I almost wish I didn't know. Cause you're like, <laughs> yeah. That's how a job, Alex. <laughs> so. Let's talk about the aliens. Um, first of all, we meet the long-armed alien, which is just what w- another iconic image from this, just the way it moves, because it's a, it's a marionette puppet. Yeah. Um, and initially, Spielberg wanted all the aliens to be done like that. Oh, I wish they were. Well, apparently, well, not apparently, factually, uh, they hadn't got the technology at this point to remove the wires, yeah. so that he just couldn't do it that way. It's quite Christ-like, though, isn't it, with the arms extended? It's just the way it moves is so alien-like mm. because mm. it's a puppet. And it was actually, that's just test footage that our, our friend um, Carlo Rambaldi, uh, who we talked about on the E.T. episode, an alien episode, he designed it. And um, that was just test footage, but it was so good. That he used it, and obviously we see three different species, and mm-hmm. um, not species of alien, three different types of alien. And Spielberg intentionally included that because he wants he wanted there, like we have so many different races on planet Earth. There were different races of yeah. aliens on their home planet. Yeah. So we'll come to the second and third sets of alien because before that first emerging from the ship are the pilots from flight 19 along with all these people from different eras i just love how well the ground staff deal with the pilots where they're like welcome home just uh, head that way for your debrief i thought it wasn't very security conscious like if say that scene had been in the x-files mm. right they would have been bundled into a decontamination unit and interrogated before being allowed back into a facility it was a mo- it was a less cynical time that's true <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but that's it like if you did that it would be like oh this is awful but because yeah. it's like welcome, welcome home, home and like considering their mental health like be like the fact that they've been away and just yeah. like using the 
words welcome back mm. it's your debrief like regular service like yeah. you've just finished your flight like you haven't been away for 30 they, years they haven't even aged yeah we know we've got eyes <laughs> uh, the first two that come out though are the screenwriters who don't get credit oh really yeah Matthew and Hal uh, Barry comes back Barry Yay. yeah and he's like where are you mum why are you sitting on this mountain <laughs> I was obviously in there the whole time Barry up here <laughs> I can't really be bothered um, we get um, another alien uh, this is the moment which Spielberg credits for uh, coming up with a lot of what E.T. would be this animatronic alien another Carlo Rambaldi creature that does the hand signal with Lacombe Yes. This is where Spielberg says, if it wasn't for this moment, I don't know that I would have had the E.T. that I eventually had, which is why, because this was a Columbia movie, he went to Columbia with the idea for E.T. because he was like, well, I made this movie with them and this is they deserve the credit. And they went, yeah, we don't like it. Yeah. So, <laughs> nope. Um, and then we've got these, this is the most amazing fact. So we've got these small extraterrestrials uh, who were played by 50 uh, local six-year-old girls mm. uh, from where they were shooting in Mobile, Alabama. No boys, only girls. Mm. Why? Why? Because they move more gracefully. Mm. Even at six? Apparently, Apparently so. so. You know, Steven Spielberg. Got, how old is your niece? Yeah, she doesn't yeah, move gracefully. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a tank. <laughs> <laughs> Bless her. But, Sorry, B. <laughs> <laughs> like a tank. Uh, but um, what they wanted to do here, because they wanted the aliens movement, these little aliens movement to be really skittish and yeah. fast-paced, so they wanted to shoot them all at a slower speed, so their movements speed were up. really high speed on yeah. camera. But they also wanted them to interact with actual ground crew. So they hired mimes to play the ground crew to walk amongst the Will aliens shut up? in that slow real? motion. Yeah. Really? Slowly. Because then when they played the footage at the speed they wanted, all... the aliens would be fast, but the mime ground crew, who were playing the technicians, <laughs> would walk at regular speed. That's amazing. And apparently, it totally didn't fucking work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, there's so much behind-the-scenes footage of this crazy stuff not working you can see that not working there's scenes of the aliens flying above them the little aliens that looks ridiculous <laughs> there's scenes of them causing chaos running and jumping on the consoles and like acting like little children basically yep. that didn't work so you as I said earlier you can see how this could have nearly been a disaster this yeah, entire yeah. sequence I mean obviously the biggest one was the, the wanting them to be more simian mm. Oh my god! I forgot about that. Yeah, so they, so they, <laughs> so they, you do it, you do it, you do it. Yeah, is, this is mad. So because they wanted them to move more Simeon-like, they uh, Spielberg hired an orangutan, mm-hmm. put an alien suit on it, mm. put it on roller skates, mm. and then see, filmed it. Yeah, it but didn't they, work. They, but they pushed an orangutan down the ramp on roller skates in an alien costume, and then were surprised <laughs> when the orangutan just ripped the costume off and ran back to its handler. Mad. <laughs> Just Stop. mad. Oh, my God. What a way to make a living. But you remember when we were on the Jaws episode and um, uh, Zanuck and Brown, the producers, they literally, this is like, you, you forget what a period of time this was. They were like, yeah, we're going to need um, a shark uh, for this movie because it's got a shark in it. So we're looking for um, a, a, trained a, a, trained, yeah. a fucking trained <laughs> shark. And then we're surprised when yeah. that was, they were told, that's not a thing. <laughs> you can have a dolphin. <laughs> you cannot have a shark. <laughs> You can have an orangutan on roller skates <laughs> in a shark costume. Uh, so, Roy joins the line of red suits. Lacombe goes, yeah, come on, put a fucking suit on, mate. And uh, he joins this queue uh, of them. Who's going to be picked for the ship? And the aliens pick him. I'd be fucking livid if I was one of the I others. Know. All that training. All that training. All that training. And I mean, if you're like the people on the ground, you'd be like, 
Yeah, but he doesn't know all the shit we need yep. from the aliens that we trained these people Pretty to sure gather. He's a repairman of some <laughs> description. Bad as well. He got fired <laughs> he got recently. Fired yesterday. <laughs> so yeah, but they pick Roy uh, without a second thought. Roy is up that ramp. Bye. He's off. I'd see ya. See ya. <laughs> he looks back. Looking for Jillian. <laughs> he blatantly is. Do you want to... Do you no? want to come Because, uh, right, you know, that kiss was pretty good, he's actually. Taking, he's taking one last look at Earth. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, well, again, one of the deleted scenes, he floats up, looks shit. Yeah. They got it right. No surprise. And obviously, if you chose to watch the special edition version, so uh, there's three different versions of this. The theatrical version, which Spielberg felt rushed because Columbia needed it to come out in 77 and he wanted it out in 78, so they were really in a dire financial straits. So they rushed him on this and he didn't get the version he wanted. They said you can do another version. This is the special edition. This is in 1980, I believe. And mm. he was allowed to reshoot. They gave him, I think, one and a half million dollars for the Capaxi scene and the screws, weirdly, coming out of the grill. That was an insert that he shot um, for this new version. But the one condition that Columbia said was, you have to show us the inside of the ship, mm. inside of the mothership, because that's something we can hang a marketing campaign off. Yeah. And so because he wanted his extra money, his extra scenes, he said yes, and he did it, and he hated seeing inside the mothership. His line, which is great, he said, the interior ship was the exclusive property of the audience's imagination, and he should never have gone there. Mm. So all that came out for the collector's edition slash director's cut, whatever you want to call it. But that is the final version, and it doesn't feature the inside of the ship. I don't hate the inside of the ship, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I get the Hmm. mystery is better, but it looks pretty fucking good. And you've already seen, if you're going to hold back, you hold back aliens, see one alien, I think. You've seen so many, there's so many six-year-old girls running around. It kind of doesn't matter now. Gracefully. Very gracefully. Very gracefully, Yeah. And uh, then he's off, leaving behind his family, off into space. Who knows if he'll ever come back? Mm -hmm. And you touched on this at the start, but in 2005, Spielberg stated that he made close encounters when he did not have children. And if he were making it today, he would never have had nearly leave his family and board the mothership. The the, uh, the alien comes out and says hello to Larkham after Neri's gone in. Hmm. Um, I, I read a fan theory that thinks they've... And they call that alien Puck, uh, that one that looks like that. The fan theory suggests that once Neri was inside, they turned him into Puck. <laughs> and that's, that's Neri coming out to say goodbye. <laughs> I like that. <sighs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that, that Puck alien was like, you know... Spielberg was like, maybe he should stay on Earth and be an ambassador of the aliens. Yeah. And then he realised he was going to put that in E.T. Yeah, because so. oh, he, nice. he thought about it being, it would be like an exchange programme. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 that, and that became E.T. But I also, I love the, um, the, 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 the spacecraft leaving over the end credits. I think because mm-hmm. the music's so great and it looks so good. And that's one where um, Dennis Muren was saying it was the only time he was really confident doing the effects for this film because he'd literally just finished Star Wars yeah. and this was a <laughs> spacecraft in space. <laughs> I've got this. <laughs> oh, any more for any more? No. Um, just one thing. I don't like Inside the Actor's Studio particularly all the interviews of James Lipton, but I did see this one and it was He's lovely. very funny in Arrested Development though. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Will Ferrell does a good impression of him. Okay. That's when he's funny, when Will Ferrell's playing him. But he <laughs> says to him, uh, he says to Spielberg, your father was a computer engineer, your mother was a concert pianist, and when the spaceship lands, they make music together on the computer. And you can sp- see Spielberg just go, 
and he never yeah. thought about it like that and he nearly starts crying because yeah. he realises this maybe he was making this film to try and get back in touch with his parents who had broken up and weren't together and lovely it's wow. a lovely moment yeah that's great oh. I do like Inside the Actors Studio I just love the one with Sean Penn where Bradley Cooper is in the audience and asks a question just like he's just a rate this is before Bradley Cooper was a thing a young right. Bradley Cooper asks Sean Penn a question and he's like really intensely listening to his answer and you're like <laughs> Oh, whatever. And then, oh, wow, okay, cool. Bradley Cooper's a thing now. <laughs> All right, let's do the bits. Uh, best scene, Chris. Okay. Uh, it's not often um, I really feel like I'm seeing myself depicted on screen. But when the Puck. mothership... Puck. <laughs> nearly. When the mothership descends and that bloke runs and hides in the toilet, that was pretty much me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but no, when they start communicating through the music, I just think it's absolutely magical. There's a lot to pick in this film, I think, of mm. good scenes. But yeah, I'm just going to say when the, when the music is happening, it feels like it's sort of the film transcends. Just, the, just the, someone coming up with that board where the yeah, notes are... Visualized as just those rectangles, just and then it goes mad when they're getting really into yeah. it, and when the computer takes over, he's like, "We're taking it from here." The guy lifts his hands off the keyboard, and yeah. it does it itself. Oh, what's yours, V? Uh, Roy in the car, because with the effects, when it uh, when the car empties and it tips, and he seems physically altered, I like the. I think the effects still look really good. I like that there's no dialogue, but you can see that a huge change has sort of shifted in this man. And you just get straight into it. It's not that, you know, the film's basically just started and it's like this big thing has happened. You could stretch that out for ages. Mm. So I like that. So it's one of two for me. And I honestly don't think you can break down the climax of this movie. I think once you get to the landing site, that's just one big whole scene, in my opinion. So it's either that or the siege on the farmhouse, which is just so effective. But I'm going for the climax because from the minute they get to that landing site, I'm just, it's, it, the movie changed for me because I was, I was huffing a bit at certain points in it. Like maybe the, like the boredom of a child still was there. But like the minute that climax kicks in, I'm just like, this is, Unbelievably good. MVW, most valuable whatever in the film V. The five notes. Um, cool. Yeah. So because, not John Williams, but the actual. No, the actual five notes. <laughs> so um, the fact that the five notes also link in with the lights and then the hand gestures, it's, it's and it does happen in Arrival to a lesser extent, I think, which is. When you're when Lacombe is explaining about music for deaf children, you're like that's sophisticated, but also could be mastered by me. Like I feel like I could mm. get that because it's just five notes that I need to learn. And you feel like through whatever is in your human old brain that connects you to music and like language. You know, there are some theories that language was first sung and that we communicated through distance by singing and call and response and stuff like that. That you feel it like. On a in your bones that you think I could talk to those aliens actually. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because of those five notes. Okay, Chris, I'm going to go for the man who wrote those five notes, John Williams. <laughs> <laughs> you meanie, <laughs> um, because you know Spielberg said to him, "I don't want a melody. I want something that says hello." And that it actually sounds like a doorbell. Yeah, doesn't it? Which works. That's what it should be. It's it's this it's this first contact. So yeah, John Williams. Uh, for me, it's either Spielberg or cinematographer Vilmos Zygmunt because the way they shoot that climax, but then you stop breaking it down. You're like, well, it's the effects as well. So who, where do you where do you end? I, I think, but ultimately, I'm going to say Steven Spielberg. 
Okay. Steven Spielberg, because as well as writing know, it on his own, on his own, sure, and, big job, and doing all the special effects yeah. on his own, yeah. and writing the five notes on his own. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who this John Williams you're talking about is. Uh, he, is, but also getting that performance from Barry <laughs> is a reason to pick Steven Spielberg. So I'm picking him. And finally, Chris, if you could change something about this, what would you change? I mean, obviously, it goes without saying you can't have them kiss. That's that's the ultimate not now love. But um, I, I think. I think for this to work, we need to plant the seed in Roy when he was a kid. Maybe he was one of the people that was visited when he was young. And so he became interested, obsessed with aliens. Maybe this had always been his dream and not some new fantasy that he's either just come up with or has been implanted in his brain. Um, Because otherwise, I feel like if I'm the aliens... I send Roy back after 30 seconds saying, go be with your family, you selfish shit. (laughs) Uh, And obviously you take Larkham instead, because uh, Lacombe rather, because his life has been building towards this moment. So he's the logical person to go away, not fucking Ray. I don't think he wants to go, does he? How do you know? I get the feeling that Lacombe, it was all about making the contact, but he's sort of not a selfish cunt. And <laughs> probably is like, I've got friends and other people here that might want to know where I am. Narratively, it, it would make sense for someone whose whole life has been about making this contact to be the one that goes off with them, hmm. not the bloke with the family who's just had this idea. And is bad at his job. Yeah, all right. Fair enough. What's your change, V? So he obviously can't leave his children. You just can't. But if he has to, then there is a different way of setting it up, I think. Oh, OK. Do you want to do yours first? Because I tried yeah, to... you asked her to, so <laughs> she was halfway through. But no, I just want to... I'm just interested because I've got... I, I tried to do this mm-hmm. and I couldn't make it work. So it, it'll nullify well, my... Well, I tried to let's... do it and I think I've got three like, ways to doing it. it. All right. So what you do is seed in, which is not quite there yet. If he takes this step, he's going to be this great explorer and he's going to bring something back for humanity. So he leaves his family in order order to do something for them right Mm. I'm not saying I've got it fixed but like that's the thing or it's clear that he will see them definitely will see them again might not be for a while but he will come back because it isn't guaranteed that he's going to come back just because they've brought these pilots back doesn't mean they'd bring him back so there's two ways of doing it the other way of doing it is you collapse the characters of Gillian and Ronnie and it's his little kid that gets kidnapped so mum and dad go on a quest have you written that down that's what I've got (laughs) that's what I've got yeah so then the family are reunited and then he somehow could still go on the ship, but he's got the blessing of his family around him and they're like, we'll see you in 10 years, something like that. Yeah, so I, just to piggyback that, you've got Ronnie Ronnie there instead of Gillian. It's their kid who was taken and is only brought back and handed off the ship <gasps> because Roy exchanges himself yeah. for his kid. It's, it, it creates problems because it makes the aliens cruel. Like yeah. the, the fact that they're exchanging the kid, but it at least makes sense why he's willing to go on the ship. Maybe there's a part of him that wants to. Yeah, yeah, that's but fine. Also, but also it's because he can only get his kid back if he gets on and the ship. And then you just do run it. I'll wait for you. Okay, maybe. Done. It's Hi. either it's either that or you simply just like have like whatever itch is in Roy's brain scratched by the fact he sees the ship oh, yeah, and yeah. realises aliens are a yeah. thing. And suddenly... That he's now the best daddy returns to life in your final scene. And is, he can relax. Everything's yeah. great because I, I just I needed to see that. He took the step and then was like, my God, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I actually doing? No, thank you. But thank you for asking kind of thing. But, you know, we're not liking Roy for the decision he makes here. No. But those pilots, when they come off, they look a little bit shell-shocked. Yeah. 
Roy potentially is going to be probed up his ass for the next 50 years. 100%. But I so, think he knows that. And I think he's looking forward to it. That is, uh, no, that's why he's crying. <laughs> uh, yeah. Puck is a deviant. <laughs> you see the hand gesture? I'm going to be doing that inside Roy's arsehole. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> and there's your new ending. That's my change. <laughs> Puck elbow deep inside Roy's anus. See? Whoa! <laughs> See, we workshopped that. We got, we got there. We got that's there. always how it goes. Uh, welcome nice. to the Clash of the Titles writer's room. <laughs> All right, then. That's us done on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Shall we do a quiz? Yeah, let's do a quiz. So this week's quiz is about language. Right. So I'm going to uh, play you uh, some audio of a voice saying a language. Right. A phrase in a in a foreign language, and you've got to tell me if that is Navi from Avatar, <laughs> Dothraki from Game of Thrones, <laughs> or Vulcan from Star Trek. Okay, so I, I, we get a turn each. It's not just shout out. Yeah, we do get a turn each because okay. there's no way of telling. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't pronounce them, so I'm using the Google Voice. Um, I can tell you what the phrase means if you like, if that helps. Oh, so we're actually hearing it through. I thought we were gonna. I was like, this is gonna be easy. I thought we were hearing a Vulcan speaking. No, no, no. This is oh, this God is Google sake. Translate. Okay, All right, cool. Let's go. Vicky, you go first. So yeah. I'm going to play you a phrase. Valamorgulis. Oh fuck. Uh, I think that's Dothraki. Correct. Thank you. It means all men must die. Cool. That's why, that's why I offered that one to you. Uh, point to Vicky. Uh, Alex, yeah. you're next. I'm thinking that is Na'vi. That is Na'vi, and that means I love you. Oh, thanks, Chris. Very good. Well played. Oh, yeah, and you're correct. Um, okay, Vicky, <laughs> yeah. what is this? Yeah, Janay Saka. Yeah, Janay Saka. Yeah, Do you want to know what it means in English? No. Yeah, go on. No, that's too much of a clue. All right. Yeah, Janay Saka. Why is he here? Oh, Navi again. Incorrect. It is Vulcan. Shit. Shit. <laughs> I think it really helps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alex. Yeah. Here we go. Sounds Welsh. <laughs> I think that is Dothraki. No, that means you're going down, and that is Navi. Damn it. Oh, they don't say things like that, do they? It, it, it kind of means your tail is mine, you're done. All right. Uh, Vicky. Yes. Ingeya KXETSE Luoeru. I heard C.S. Lewis in there. <laughs> uh, that is Dothraki. They're all. That is Navi. Right. And Alex, final one. <laughs> okay. Ponfo Mirren. Vulcan. Correct. It means go to hell. Yay! <laughs> I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. I just won. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, I'm not going to gloat this week. You uh, shouldn't gloat because they're so arbitrary. Yeah, it's sure. not knowledge. Sure. It was just a bit of fun. Just a bit it's of fun. not fun, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's look ahead to next week. Uh, well, do you want to do that? Yeah, let's do this in this order. I've got an order in my head. Yeah, no, it's your turn. It's your clue. What? What's the order then? I've got something. I've got a little You've secret. got A or B? I've got something to ask Chris after oh, this. Oh, cute. Okay, right. Do you want me to do the clue? I do. All right, you ready? This is for next week's pairing. For next week's p- brilliant pairing. Picked by... By Chris Tilly, yeah. but me, <laughs> No, you, you picked it, right? I picked it. Yeah. The clue is, get real, princess. The kid stays in the picture. Oh! Let's get in it! 
No? No. Cold, dead eyes of a shark over there. I got a there. last week. Do you <laughs> I know. remember that? I really liked that. Yeah. And yet you're still looking to Chris for approval. I clapped just then. But that's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> Too you easy. always go to the, you know, the, right. the, the people that deny you. Let's hear it again. Uh, get real, princess. The kid stays in the picture. Love it. Okay. On to you, Chris. What do we want to talk about now? There's something going on in January, but it's not pronounced January. It's pronounced... Fanuary? Is it Fanuary already? <laughs> Not yet, but soon we need to just start collecting. Yeah, we want you to pick the films uh, that we'll be doing all through January slash Fanuary. So simply email us with your pairings. It has to be to, an email. Uh, show at <laughs> clashpod.com. Show at clashpod.com. Tell us your pairing, but tell us why. Give us something to talk about at the start of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, I mean, Chris does tend to pick the ones. Just process check just for a second. Do we know the password for the email account before yeah yeah right cool. no we don't but chris just never closes it so oh, until he gets a new <laughs> laptop yeah and, and yes but i'm in trouble <laughs> yeah uh yes uh, so i mean chris has already said but do do explain why you want us to do the particular pairing because chris tight tends to Could lead it be? we've ignored those. it for two years or three years and yeah. it's just just oh, keep suggesting feel it. free to resubmit <laughs> of course yeah 100 resubmit resubmit i think and also like the clearing process of ucas i will say i rely on it quite heavily like even when we're out of Fanuary. When I'm stuck, I do go back to that list. But then, so please do credit the person. Yeah. I do. I do. I do. Rarely. Well, I ask you to because you've got access to it. And who knows? Depending on how well Fanuary goes, we could end up in February Fanny again. <laughs> I think we might. Yeah. yeah, it was so good last year. I think February Fanny was better than Fanuary, personally <laughs> speaking. All right. So once again, the email address is show at clashpod.com. Get your suggestions in. We're going early with that. Well, I mean, we're not. We're getting the suggestions in early. I'm talking too much. Please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Check them with us on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok. Check out our wonderful, glorious little YouTube channel for loads of clash moments from the years. We'll be back on Thursday when Arrival will be arriving. Till then, have a great week. Bye-bye. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.